Welcome to Season 6 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined us today. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you to all of those people that have subscribed and left a review on iTunes. It means the world to know that there are teachers all over the world that are getting something valuable out of our discussions. So thank you. In this episode, we're talking to the wonderful Professor Julie Schmidt-Hassan. She has spent many years in the classroom and as a school leader and principal. More recently, she's been trying to gain a deeper understanding of the ways in which teachers influence our lives. Julie believes that growth and transformation happen when people feel safe, seen and stretched, just as we did in the classrooms of our favourite teachers. As a qualitative researcher, Julie has interviewed hundreds of people about the teachers that they remember. The synthesis of that research became the Chalk and Chances project, which she founded in 2018. In her words, if it wasn't for her beloved teacher, Mrs. Russell, who knows where I would be right now. We all have that teacher, the one that changed our lives. Teachers are the unsung heroes who quite often have no idea of the impact that they've had or are having on their students. I hope that you enjoyed this discussion with Julie, and if you haven't done so yet, please reach out to the teacher that made a difference and say thank you. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Where are you phoning in from today? I'm so excited to to talk with you today. I'm coming from the Blue Ridge Mountains in the western part of North Carolina in the United States. Is it as beautiful as it sounds? It is more beautiful than it sounds. Summer here is gorgeous. We just had baby deer in our yard. It's beautiful. Oh, that's lovely. That is so wonderful. Um, What is your coffee order or your drink of choice? I hate to admit that I don't drink coffee. <laughs> Surprisingly, I'm, a lot of teachers I've spoken to do not drink coffee. Really? So that's good to know. Yeah. Are you I a, am a tea, tea drinker? A, I'm a tea drinker. Um, usually like just a plain Earl Grey, no sweetener, no cream. There's something very soothing about just a hot cup of black tea. I am uh, currently drinking Earl Grey. Uh, it is from, uh, it's Harrods Earl Grey. Maybe that's the English, uh, yeah. English in me. And so I love a cup of Earl Grey tea. There's something, I don't know, there's something about it. I love it. It's definitely, definitely soothing. Um, is there a book that you have read? It could be within your professional sphere or personally uh, that has made you stop and reconsider a few things. So many. I'm, I'm a voracious reader. It's my favorite pastime. Um, Martin Seligman, who's the consider the father of positive psychology, learned optimism, how to change your mind in your life, uh, was a life-changing book for me. Okay. Is there something that you have um, changed your mind on or upon? There's so this book is packed with strategies. So many. I think yeah. I pay closer attention to my self-talk, to my thoughts, and try to correct for um, catastrophizing things from this, from my reading from that book. I tend to be blindly optimistic, and so when a problem comes, it 
it derails me or it did. I'm getting better. And I can catch myself now and say, okay, like, let's think about this objectively. Let's think about how we turn this into an opportunity instead of something that's going to completely take me off track. So anything by Dr. Seligman, I read, I love, I buy multiple copies and give to friends. <laughs> it's a great book. Fantastic. I'll, uh, I'll have to make sure I read a, a bit more of his, uh, bit more of his work. I think the whole, the, the notion of changing your mind is a really interesting one. Um, and there's definitely a lot of things that I have considered and reconsidered, uh, mainly uh, being a parent, um, as you can, as you saw my children are running in, but that's, that's what happens. Um, is there, um, actually, what were you like, what were you like at school? And what, uh, what sort of student were you at school? Very quiet. Uh, it would, it had to feel like a really safe classroom for me to ever answer a question or share. Um, I had fr I lovely friends. I loved school, but I was super quiet and um, very compliant. <laughs> so I was the kind of kid that were, probably was easy to have in class in some ways but um, struggled academically early on, which was probably challenging for my teachers as well. Yeah. Do you think that um, it was maybe easy, easier for you to slip under the radar because you were quiet? Um, I'm just thinking of um, a number of quiet students that I've taught over the years. It's very easy to kind of miss them. Was that, was that the case with you? I think it would have been had I not had such remarkable teachers. Right. Um, you right. you know about Mrs. Russell. I know about Mrs. Talk Russell. Yeah. About her. <laughs> yeah. So what what was it about Mrs. Russell? And I know you pretty much wrote the the, the preface of your uh, no the, the, the a huge proportion of your book as uh, safe, seen, and stretched um, as a result of the impact that Mrs. Russell had on your life. But but what was it about her that made her so special? I was very anxious kid and turned out to be a dyslexic kid so struggled to learn to read but I have a brother who's 11 months older who's academically gifted okay. I don't even remember him learning to read he just read read everything easily from an early early age so I felt like I wasn't ready for first grade yeah kindergarten I had learned the letters and sounds my mom is a teacher so is my grandma so I had a lot of help at home and I felt confident by the end of the year in kindergarten and I thought well I just stay here <laughs> yeah yeah but I I started that first day in first grade very nervous very anxious and Mrs. Russell was always so positive and patient yeah. and she used this creative multi-sensory approach she would try things with me and if it didn't work it would be no big deal we'll try something else and I think often if she had shown frustration or doubt with me, I would have seen myself differently as a learner. But yeah. because of her attitude and her belief in me, I started to believe in myself and that changed everything. Yeah. Have you had the, um, and I, I'm assuming that some of the people that are listening to this haven't read your book. So I know the answers to a lot of the questions I'm asking. So just bear with me for those people that haven't read your book. Um, have you had a chance to, um, to thank Mrs. Russell? And if you have, what was that experience like? All the time. So I would run into Miss Russell in town at times. I became a teacher just like her. So would run into her at things. 
And then when I became a new principal and went to lead a new school, she was on the faculty there. So I got to spend three years being my favorite teacher's principal. And it was such a privilege to watch her teach. Yeah. And what was that dynamic like? Because obviously you went from a student in her class to then essentially um, being her boss. Uh, what what was that like? Like, was there was that difficult to navigate or was it just a, a natural it, progression? Again, it may have been if she weren't so remarkable, but it was incredibly easy. It, what was hard was to find anything to give her for coaching because yeah, yeah. she was such a master and I would just sit in her room and it, it's one of those things where if you didn't really understand teaching, it would look easy, mm. but it was so beautifully orchestrated, this classroom and the way she responded to kids and how she kind of kept things moving and gave everybody what they needed just beautiful, masterfully done. Yeah. Um, and I tried to get her to lead professional development trainings or talk at faculty meetings. She's very humble and also very quiet, which may be why she understood me. Yeah. So she was reluctant to do that, but would help a colleague with anything. And just a, a lovely soul. We're still connected on social media. She, um, she read the book. She, I hope I honored her and did her proud because she really laid the foundation for all of that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure she would be incredibly proud. And we will get into some of the um, amazing work in your book uh, in a moment. And there's so much in there. It's a, it's a podcast episode in itself, I think, just uh, talking about Mrs. Russell. And it's, it's so lovely to hear from people like yourself that are um, so esteemed and but also have at the core of who they are, this incredible teacher and this incredible educator. And I remember I had this teacher called Mrs. Taylor Jones and I had the privilege of having her on my, uh, on the podcast a, a few months ago. And uh, she was just this incredible woman. It is this incredible woman who um, uh, was really significant in my life at a time where my family was falling apart and it was really challenging. And so I knew that every time I went into her classroom, I was seen and I was valued. And I'm sure she did that for the other 30 or 35 students in that class. But I felt like the most important person. And when I finally um, uh, met her again, after probably 25 years, I went back to, to England where I'm from and I just gave her a hug. It was the most awkward interaction and I think I just <laughs> cried and I was like a grown man and my wife was standing next to me and after we left she said yeah that's not cool like that's really not cool you can't oh. and I just said but she's just and I think we forget the power and the influence and the significance that educators have on our lives and and for me um, as you just saw by my kids running in they're off to daycare and I think about the incredible job that their teachers are doing to bring them up. And there is nothing more precious than when we hand over our children to people to partner with them, to raise them. And it's such a significant, um, it's such a significant and underappreciated role. And I'm um, yeah, incredibly, um, incredibly grateful. And so what's your life like now? Because you've gone from a, a, a teacher, a school leader, to a researcher, what consumes most of your time now? Because you seem 
very busy. I think you're currently packing to go to a conference somewhere or doing something. I am what, going what to Kentucky amazing. at the end of this week to talk about this research. My life right now, if I'm not teaching because I teach graduate students and I have some this summer, if I'm not teaching, I'm writing. Um, the follow-up to Safe Scene and Stretch is halfway completed. Right, we'll I can't be, wait to get it. Uh, I, it's, it, there was so much more to say that yeah. I just kept writing. Yeah. So it will be out in spring. So right now that consumes most of my time. Okay, fantastic. And how as a, um, so what are some of the things you love about being a researcher? And maybe what are some of the challenges? Do you miss, do you miss the classroom? I, you know, I will forever miss teaching little young children um, yeah. because I was an early childhood teacher most of my okay. career, but I teach teachers now and there's nothing better than that. Uh, yeah. So I feel like that magnifies impact a little bit. I get to teach the ones who go out and teach the little ones, um, but I will always miss that time in the classroom. I spend a lot of time in schools yeah. and that helps. I do coaching and professional development. We have two lab schools at our university, so there's plenty to do inside schools, and you can get a little bit of that teaching right. fix. They're always happy to let you come in and teach. <laughs> Fantastic. It sounds like you are. Do you feel like you are busier now than you were when you were teaching, or is it a different kind of, a different kind of tired? It's a different kind of tired. Um, it's a different kind of busy. I have more... I'd like to say I have more control over my schedule, yeah. <laughs> my day, but that's not always true. It's just a different kind of day. It's a little more solitary on some days than teaching ever was, yeah. um, but, but that's a nice balance sometimes too, especially yeah. when you're doing this kind of research and writing. Yeah. So um, why, why write a safe scene and stretched in the classroom? What were you trying to do tell me about your amazing research methodology behind it what were some of the findings yeah why uh why write this book and, and it didn't start out to be a book that, that's a surprise to me still yeah it started because I left my job as a school principal to become a professor and my mentor said in addition to teaching you have to do some research produce some articles some scholarship you need to find a focus for that research. No idea. But Miss Russell retired when I left that principal job and became a professor. And I just kept thinking about her. And what I really wanted to know was how do teachers like Mrs. Russell make this lasting impact on kids' lives? What do they say? What do they do? Because here in the United States, we had started something called value added measure which is a quantitative way to look at teacher impact. And there were so many problems with that. It was lacking in so many ways. I thought, let's look at impact from a different angle. Let's look at this long-term impact and try to find a way to make that abstract concept more complete. Yeah. So I started out interviewing teachers about their impact, but quickly found out we don't know unless like you came back to Miss Taylor Jones and told her, yeah, if you hadn't, she would never know the impact she made on your life. So yeah. that was really bad research design. <laughs> I went back to my mentor and said, how do I answer this question? He said, well, you're going to have to talk to former students. That's not hard because they're everywhere. 
So go where they congregate and figure out how to invite them to talk to you about their teachers. So I had a sign made up at the print shop that just said, let's chat about a teacher you remember. Yes. And I went to farmer's markets, flea markets, parks, um, university campuses, put it, my sign out, and people would line up Amazing. to talk about their teachers. It was the most fun you could have doing a research project. And I would, as people would tell me these beautiful stories, and like you, they would cry talking about their teachers. I would share them with my friend, Laura, who is an amazing teacher in her own right. And she finally said, this is something teachers need. We need to find out how we can share them. Amazing. So my, my now son-in-law helped me create a blog. It became a blog and then eventually a book. Incredible. Um, I would love to do something similar to that. Like I, we have a local um, farmer's market that I take the girls to on Saturday morning. And I, um, I went there just after I read uh, your book and I thought, this would be a great place just to gather stories of impact um, uh, and the amazing work that teachers do. And it also struck me that um, you talked about Mrs. Russell and obviously uh, Mrs. Taylor Jones, they had no idea of the impact that they had on our lives. And it sort of strikes me that teachers themselves are probably a poor measure of that impact. Um, Mrs. Taylor Jones was completely shocked and flabbergasted that um when I told her my story and how I felt in a classroom was that was that a surprise to you did you assume that teachers would know the impact they were having I should have known that they yeah. wouldn't you know I had been around teachers for for decades and had been a teacher I I should have known that um so I, I suppose it I was surprised on some levels that they couldn't talk yeah. more about their impact what really surprised me was going to these places and talking to people they would tell me a story and then they would say I haven't thought about that in years but your your question prompted me to remember this and I would say have you reached out to that teacher and they would say no so uh, part of what I got to do was encourage people you need to con connect with that teacher if you can and tell them what they did for you because yeah. we don't we get busy we move on and yeah. we don't always think about that yeah were there any um sadly were there any stories of negative impacts uh that teachers had on students um not luckily not as many as the positive stories good, good. but yes there were moments of people describe moments of shame or humiliation Gosh. or feelings of rejection we have such power as teachers and we have to be so careful in our words, our actions, our interactions in the classroom, because those things stick with people probably more clearly than the positive things. Yeah. I, uh, I remember having to stand up uh, in year three because I was, sorry, no, year four, because I was the only student that forgot to bring in their homework. And I just remember, and I remember it today, like I've been through it as we all have been through stuff in our lives that in retrospect is, is, is much worse than having to stand. But I remember that. I remember that feeling of everyone like looking at me and a few people laughing and feeling so, uh, so stupid in that classroom. And um, I, I'm sure the teacher didn't mean it, but for me, it's, it, it's a daily reminder that the, the, the little things that we do matter. Um, and I have, no idea what Mrs. Jones taught me, 
I have no idea about the content. Um, I don't know if it was something in maths with, I don't know, 2D shapes or how to write it. I don't, I don't know what it was, but I remember, I remember how she made me feel every single day. Um, and how do we even begin to um, kind of quantify that data? I mean, what, what, what did you do with that data once you found it? Because it seems a, a very sort of um, subjective. And I'm a qualitative researcher, yeah. which by nature, we accept that this kind of research, really, if we get super philosophical, all kind of research is somewhat subjective. Absolutely. Just by the very nature that we pick the question, we're yeah, going to yeah. investigate our answer. We pick the means to do it. We do choose the analysis. So I, I make no bones about the fact that I bring myself and my experiences to this work. So it is by nature, somewhat subjective. But once I had, oh gosh, probably a hundred maybe stories or close to that, I started to look for common themes within the stories. So I started to look for words that people use that were the same or similar and, and just look at what the essence of the stories was and, and kind of put things in groups and then continue to analyze as more data came until it was really, really clear that people remembered feeling safe, seen, and stretched in their impactful teacher's classroom. Yeah, it's so important. And there are, uh, you, your book is full of notes and post-its and highlight. I don't usually do that to a book because I like to um, keep it beautiful, but I, I couldn't help it with your book. There's so many uh, little um, notes and questions to ask. So uh, we definitely won't be able to, get through all of it but what were what were some of your findings what were some of the common things that that great teachers did or do you nailed it I think when you talked about Miss Taylor Jones and said you remember how you felt yeah because it really is about how we make students feel in the classroom and for students who don't feel like they belong any place oh. feeling like they belong in a classroom is a life-changing thing. Yeah. Um, or for students who have learned not to put themselves out and take the risks necessary for learning, which means they're not learning and growing, if we can create a space where they willingly take those risks, that is also life-changing. Yeah. Um, but it's about the culture we create. It's about the ways we interact with kids the actions that we take that speak more powerfully than our words. Um, it's small moments yeah. consistently over time. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's so important. And, and like I said, before we hit um, record, it was, it was a book that I couldn't put down. I found myself like, like crying in moments and just going, oh my gosh, like, I, 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 like it, it, it's so important, I think, to celebrate the amazing work that our teachers do every day. And, and I know like, it's a, it's a tough job. I mean, there are some days, um, and I'm only speaking out of the, obviously the Australian context, but um, I think that there's definitely a lot of shared challenges, but it's, it's really difficult. And there are days that I haven't slept because my kids have been up all night or there are days that I've had a fight with the dog or whatever it is. And like, it's really hard. And some days to get up, to act, to be present for your students is, is, is quite difficult. And myself as well in a, in a leadership role, as you would know, um, anything can happen and anything does happen. 
and I found this book so important because it made me um, just remember again um, why I got into teaching. So, uh, yeah, th thank you for uh, thank oh, you for you're writing. You're welcome. I love that you said, you know, anything can happen. Because anything. I think yeah. anything. anything. I mean, the craziest yeah. thing. When I went back after I finished writing. And I started to look at the stories again. There was one more thing in the data that just kind of pulled at me and wouldn't let me go. Yeah. And it's this idea that when those things happen, like those challenges or problems or crazy things, these very impactful teachers, the Miss Russells, the Taylor Jones, that's what they used to turn a challenge into an impact. Like for Miss Russell, had I not been a struggling reader, she wouldn't have been able to make that kind of impact yeah so there, were, there was this one story um about a young man who took what we call home economics so they were cooking yeah. and they cooked on fridays and they made chocolate chip cookies and they were told by their teacher um you can eat one <laughs> and he put three in his pocket and she saw him so there was a problem she gave a clear direction he ignored it so you think about all the things the teacher could do, send them up to you in the office, out of the classroom, you can't cook again. But instead she asked a question, are you hungry? Uh -huh. And he was like, dad had left. They didn't have food in the house. Their electricity was off. He was hungry. Um, and then she started to get her church group to donate food mm -hmm. to the family. And she washed his clothes in that home economics room. But I think, it's that, like there's a problem or a challenge and those really great teachers use that. Yeah. Instead of getting in, a, in an entanglement with a kid, they use that to make an impact. What a beautiful yeah. skill to have. It's a beautiful skill. I, I'm getting like emotional, like it's early, it's, it's the morning over in Australia so and it's too sorry, early to start Matthew. with like crying. Um, but I, um, I remember when I was a relatively new teacher and I was rushing and the photocopier was jammed and I was trying to do stuff and it was recess and I was trying to eat lunch and go to the toilet and do all this stuff. And I was running, I ran, I was literally running across the playground to get to the office um, because I needed to get what I needed done. Um, and this little uh, girl in my class came up to me and said, uh, excuse me, Mr. Green. And I heard her, but I, kind of didn't want to hear her you know I was busy and mm -hmm. so I just walked past and she said you're not listening to me I need to show you something and as I I was probably about five meters away I stopped it hit me and I turned around and I crouched down and I looked her in the eye and I said I'm I'm really sorry I'm really sorry what would you like to show me and she had uh her family had just broken up um and she had drawn a picture of her in my classroom and me teaching her and she said I feel safe in your class oh and I just I just had this moment where I thought like if I miss this I miss the whole thing mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what content I have to get through it doesn't matter the deadlines they have to be secondary to connecting with these kids and it I think about that every day um, and I've told my students in my class um, and I, I actually survey them. I have a Google, a QR code linked to a Google form. And one of the questions is I feel safe in this class and they have to rate between zero and 10. One of them is 
I enjoy being in this class. And another question is, Mr. Green listens to me. Um, and I said to them, at any point, you can take your iPads, scan the QR code and give me some feedback because I want to know. And trust me, they're honest. They're very, very honest. Yeah. Um, but I love that. And it's just a reminder that sometimes, unless we're careful, we miss the things that are the most important. And um, I, I'm so grateful that you would share that story um, because it makes me think of, um, it makes you think of some of the kids in my class, like it's really easy to react or to mm -hmm. out of ego or out of hurry or whatever it may be to, to rush through the content to get the job done, but miss why we're here in the first place. Um, it's, yeah. Did, did you have any, um, did you have any uh, of those examples from when you were teaching any moments with kids that you thought, wow, like this is, this is the important thing now. This is why I'm here. What's funny to me is that we don't, as teachers, recognize, I mean, in your case, uh, that was different, but in so many cases, we don't recognize, so we don't remember those moments because we're just caring for our kids. Um, and the only times I think I, they've been really clear to me is when I've run into a student later. Yeah, yeah. I gave a, a TEDx talk I don't know a few years ago and amazing talked about a, oh thank you talked about a student I ran into at the grocery store and she remembered a book we had read and that book really spoke to her or you know I would run into them working at the coffee shop and they would mention something that they remember and one named Jose who I adored was he had been in first grade which I think you call year one and he had his family had come from another country so english was his second language but he was a superstar in mathematics so he got to come to my second grade class for mathematics and they kept him in first grade for reading and i kept advocating for him he was so smart so finally they let me have him all day so he could be with his age level peers yeah. and he was working at the coffee shop and was an engineering student and he said, thank you for advocating for me. Um, and I, you know, I, I sort of remembered that, but I don't think I really realized the message it sent to him or the yeah. impact it had on him. But yeah. That's unless, really yeah, I think for so, so many times there are small moments that we wouldn't recognize or remember, but they stick with people for decades. And I think this is why you're, research methodology in your book is so powerful because you're getting the the people in which were impacted by that to talk about it because if you ask teachers they would be it maybe wouldn't be as aware as the students are that have had impact and it it's so wonderful and I don't want to give away too much of your book I encourage everybody to to read it and um one of the um uh, the chapters that really stood out for me was uh, applying lessons on equity um and I I love that. Would you, you mind maybe spending a few moments just talking about the importance of equity and why it's really important to hold those high expectations for all students? And it sounds obvious, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. And Jose's story was such a great lead into that. Yeah. The only, um, the only thing they were using to make decisions about his path was his English proficiency. Yeah. really he just he just needed a little support in english proficiency he could do everything else yeah. so to me that's equity it is opportunities plus support 
Yeah. Like we couldn't just throw him into the next grade level. We had to support his English language learning. But as long as we did that, he he could take advantage of that opportunity. And I think that's true from, you know, as they enter school until they graduate, some students just need some extra support in order to take advantage of the opportunities yeah. that we provide for them. But one of the, the things I talked about in that chapter was observing in a classroom where a teacher was asking questions mm -hmm. and they do something here in America. I don't know if they do it there in elementary school where they, it came from a game show where they'll say, do you want to phone a friend? Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to we, the we, question. We've got that. We, we take everything from America. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, most, don't do that. <laughs> most things, yeah. All the good things, yeah. You may not want to take some things. <laughs> This, this particular strategy I learned in this observation, we have to do very carefully because this great teacher was asking higher order questions mm. and she was pulling the popsicle sticks with yep. the kids' names out of the jar. Yep. And she was probably too young and new a teacher to realize that nobody else knew what name was on the popsicle stick. <laughs> but, but I could tell right away she wished she hadn't pulled his name. She called on this little boy. He looked... Um, you know, had wide eyes and looked a little blank for just a second. And she quickly said, do you want to phone a friend? He called on the friend. The friend provided the answer. They moved on. And I sat by him during independent work and said, you know, tell me about phone a friend. What is that? And he said, she doesn't let the smart kids phone a friend. And I realized I stuck around in that classroom for a while with some kids, she would restate the question. She would probe. She would work with them until they answered. And with some kids, it was quickly, do you want to phone a friend? Yeah. And she was sending this powerful message by that strategy. And I know she didn't intend it. Yeah. Like, I know that was not what, what she, was, she was trying to save him struggle or potential embarrassment. But instead, she was saying, you're not smart enough to answer this question. So I think we have to think about the messages we're sending yep. to kids by our choices in the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, uh, I almost feel sorry for the students that were in my class in the first year of teaching. Uh, but then Don't I realized that, <laughs> realize that my intentions were in the right place. And I think sometimes we need to cut ourselves a little bit of slack and say, look, we are doing the best job that we we know how to do and obviously that will change uh over time as we as we know better um julie i, I was just wondering um you seem like someone that is endlessly um optimistic and excited um about what you're doing and so you should be um but were there any ever any sort of moments where you uh considered not teaching anymore and if there were how did you bounce back I was teaching second grade, which would yeah. be year two, right, for yeah. you. And I had the, the most lovely class. They just were sweet and they worked together. And I had a little boy named Zachary who was athletic. Recess was his favorite. He would play anything with a ball, kickball, football, you know, all of that. And at near the end of the year, his mom called me and said, have you noticed anything? And I said, no. And she said, he's having trouble tying his shoe. And when he walks, he's veering like to the right. And he turned out to have a very aggressive brain tumor and passed away by May the next year. And so for me, it, 
it was the hardest thing, but it changed my perspective on what really is a problem. Yeah. You know, most things are an inconvenience. Um, that was a bad day. You know, the day we lost Zach. Everything else is an inconvenience. And so we have to keep the perspective about what really is an insurmountable problem and what is an inconvenience. And yeah. then like that home economics teacher, what is an opportunity? Yeah. Um, and not, you know, hidden in a problem. And yeah. I don't think I ever thought about quitting. I changed roles. You know, I went from a teacher to a school leader to a professor. So I've I've done and I've had enough newness <laughs> to keep things fresh. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever thought about leaving education. Yeah. I'm a third generation educator and my daughter is the fourth. So it's in our blood, it's in our family. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, my uh, wife's family are all teachers. Uh, she decided not to follow that path. But um, I think one of the reasons why I um, was successful in asking her out on a first date was because I impressed her parents by being a teacher. And so I think whatever it takes to get the date, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> it was really, worth it. <laughs> yeah. And can I, can I ask... Um, how do you how do you look after yourself? Like, what are some of the things that you do to to maintain that um, excitement and that passion? And have they uh, changed over time since you've changed roles? I wish I could say I had a good life balance or that I practice wellness and self care like I should, but yeah, I don't. Same. Yeah. Um, as you know, this is my fifth cup of tea, so I haven't <laughs> exercised today like I should. But I'm really passionately curious. Right. So if I'm doing something and I'm wondering, mm. I, I will just keep going. And I wonder about so many things. You know, yeah. and education, I hope, is always in some ways a beautiful mystery to me. Yeah. That there are always questions to answer. Yeah. So I think that's the root of it. It's definitely not my intentional self-care. <laughs> That keeps me going. I think it's passion and curiosity. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, my, um, I mean, it's it's seasonal, isn't it? Because, like I like I said, I've got two young kids. I'm currently on holiday, doing interviews, which I love, and I've I've chosen to do this, and I love it. I find it so exciting and interesting. But it, it it's not necessarily getting up at five o'clock and meditating and going for a run and having cold showers. I think you've got to find things that are that stimulate your soul and it sounds like for me teaching and education is one of those and I think there are so many questions um, to ask about schools and so many things to celebrate but it is this beautifully complex mystery and uh, I find it endlessly fascinating as uh, as I'm sure uh, as I'm sure you do um, so just wondering hypothetically Julie if you were um, building an education system from the ground up, you got to start again. Um, what would be some of its essential qualities? I think if we can maximize contact hours between a child and an individual teacher. So mm -hmm. in America, sometimes we do something called looping where they have the same teacher two grades in a row. Or in secondary our students change classes like every hour that works against building relationships. Like if we can yeah. give them more time yeah. in contact with a teacher so that they can really build a deep relationship. I think that 
to me is an important change we could make. Mm -hmm. uh, teacher autonomy here is is yeah. a problem. Yes, <laughs> if exactly. we could yeah, give yeah. save if we could give teachers more choice so that they could be responsive to kids, if we could let them use their professional judgment, um, I would love to open a school where teachers make all the decisions with some guidance and facilitation, but a teacher run school to me would be a beautiful thing. So if I ruled the world, teachers would run the schools and make the decisions with just some support and some facilitation. Um, as a principal, I hope I empowered my teachers to do that. I don't think I did as much as I could have or should have, yeah. uh, but, but I think that's the path that we need to be on. Yeah. Do you think there's anything missing um, uh, in, in the US context from, uh, from teacher training? Oh, teacher training. And I work at a university that does teacher preparation. So we have this conversation all the time. Um, we talk about, can we teach people to build relationships? You know, yeah. some of us are natural nurturers and, and we connect with people more easily, but there are strategies. Um, John Gottman has some beautiful mm -hmm. work on bids for connection. Yeah. Strategies we can teach to really help people learn how to build connection and relationships. And I feel like we should do more of that. Yeah, I think that is, uh, that is so important and really, uh, really essential. Um, so bearing that in mind, um, what do you think some of the uh, lessons are from the COVID-19 pandemic? It's still very much uh, happening over in Australia, as I'm sure it is in the, in the United States. Um, so what are some of the things that that has taught us about the important work that schools do? I think it made us better problem solvers. You know, when we talk <laughs> about turning problems into opportunities, we got yeah. a lot of practice at that. I watched my own daughter. It was her first year teaching when wow. everything went remote. She was teaching third grade and she kept trying to figure out how do I preserve these relationships that I've built when we're not in the same place. So she would do things like stay on Zoom and leave her camera on and they could eat lunch with her together. Or um, every day, one of them could show her, with parent permission, show her something, their cat, their baby brother. She just <laughs> would find these little ways to still connect. Right. Um, she would send them things in the mail. You know, nobody gets things in their mailbox anymore. They would be so thrilled to get something in the mailbox. Um, so she found these beautiful small ways to stay connected to her kids. Beautiful. I think that's, that's one thing we've learned, the importance of that. Yeah. But I also think there's some tech tools that we can continue to take advantage of for parents. There's no reason we can't do parent conferences on Zoom so that they don't have to travel or leave their workplace. Um, and so I would like to see us leverage yeah. some of the technology we got good at yeah. to, to make I, things easier for families. Yeah. I, are you confident um, or optimistic that we will learn from these mistakes? Or do you think we will kind of spring back into old habits? I think education as a system is so resistant to change I know. because we, we all went to school and so we continue to kind of do school the way we experienced it and conceived it. So I'm never super optimistic about change. Yeah. But I will say one of the things I hope is that in all our work to reform and innovate that we don't lose what was always great, which, yeah. which is that connection between teachers and students. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we have to be optimistic. Otherwise, we are in the wrong. 
profession. Uh, but uh, I, I agree. I mean, there are definitely things that we um, are going to keep. There are things that we do a, a keep ch change. So things that we're going to keep, things that we're going to get rid of and things that we're going to change. And I think it's that constant questioning of things that we perceive to be sacred. Um, I love that my um, profession was forced online. I never, ever thought that school teachers would be doing lessons remotely. And part of me um, is really grateful for that opportunity because it caused us to think and it caused us to challenge assumptions very, very quickly. Um, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm also confident that we will learn these lessons. Um, <laughs> Julie, what, um, this is a, another big question. Um, what do you want your legacy to be? So look forward 20, 30, 40 years, and maybe you've left the profession or maybe it looks different, but what mark do you hope to have left on our wonderful profession? 40 years. Now, I just turned 53, so 40 years. I'm not sure what I'll, Sorry. <laughs> what contributions I'll be making, um, but it would be cool to still be writing and, and doing things. Yeah. I think for me, um, what I hope is that I made that notion of teacher impact, which has always been talked about in a quantitative way and yeah. outside of that been such an abstract idea. I hope the stories I gather and share make that a little more concrete so we can see what that looks like. Because if, if we have models of that, then we can do it intentionally and we can make a bigger, more consistent impact. Yeah. But I also hope I validated how important teaching is and teachers are. Yeah. Well, I think you are well on your way uh, to achieving that legacy. Um, Thank you. Where can people find out more about you and the amazing work that you're engaged in? When we took the stories and launched the blog, we had to name it. So yeah. my son-in-law, Jake, said, um, well, what did your teachers use to impact your life? And since I'm old, it was chalk, a lot of chalk and a lot of chances. Yeah. So it became chalkandchances.com. You can find awesome. all the stories there, information about the research there, and you can contact me through that website. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that I put uh, all of the uh, information in our show notes. Um, I'll put a link to your amazing book. And can I just say, Julie, thank you for your contribution to our wonderful profession and not just to the teachers uh, in the States, but also globally. Um, like I said, I read your book cover to cover and it brought me to um, to tears and tears of joy, uh, tears of uh, in some ways sadness because I thought of the opportunities that we as educators sometimes miss unless we're careful, um, but mainly joy and mainly appreciation for the amazing work that educators around the, work do, uh, the world do. So thank you for that. And I can't wait to see the, um, the sequel to the book uh, you're, and you are always welcome to come on the podcast and have a chat. So uh, I can't thank you enough for your work. And it was uh, a huge privilege to speak to you today. Thank you, Matthew. Same to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. 
I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.